You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello, welcome to The Investor Way with me, Sam Ball. I'm joined by my co-host, John McEwen. It's the 27th of September, 2022. And in this week's episode, we'll be discussing the City of London Investment Trust, JD Sports Fashion, Halion, Keyword Studios, PZ Cousins, and Costco. John, shall we start off with City of London Investment Trust making its debut? Its debut, yes. So City of London Investment Trust, one of the biggest actively managed closed-end funds listed on the FTSE 250 with total assets of nearly £2 billion, had their full-year results out last week. And as it's the first time that we're covering it on the show, it's probably worth giving a bit more of a background to the company and outlining their investment objectives before digging into the results. So the company actually started life in 1860 to acquire a family-owned brewing business called Calvert's in London, but it's been investing in securities since 1932. And quoting from their website, the City of London Investment Trust aims to provide long-term growth in income and capital, principally by investment in UK equities, with a bias towards large multinational companies. The board fully recognises the importance of dividend income to shareholders. The trust provides UK investors with exposure to global growth through the portfolio's overseas revenues. It has a conservative management style that prioritises sustainable income and long-term capital growth. The trust measures itself against the FTSE All Share Index. To give you a flavour, their top 10 holdings are as follows. Number one, British American Tobacco at 4.61%, Shell at 3.95%, Diageo at 3.75%, BAE Systems at 3%, Relex at just under 3%, BP at 2.86%, Astra at 2.84%, HSBC 2.72%, Unilever 2.58%, and Imperial Brands at 2.58%. The highlights for the full year results were a net asset value total return of 7.5% in the financial year ended June the 30th, down from 20% in the financial year 2021, but beating their benchmark 1.6 return of the FTSE All Share. Their net asset value per share is £3.90 pence on June the 30th, up 0.9% from £3.87 pence a year earlier. Revenue earnings per share were 20.7p on shares of around £4, which is up 21.2%. The fund trades at 2.5% a a premium to its underlying net asset value. The share price is up 7.7% on the year compared with 1.6% on the benchmark. The dividend was increased by 2.6% and represented a 56th consecutive year of dividend increases and came in at 19.6 pence. Over the past decade, the dividend is up 41.2%. Gearing at the year end stood at 7.1%, which contributes 1.5 percentage points to the outperformance due to the decline in the fair value of their secured debt. Stock selection contributed 4.7 percentage points, helped by the portfolio's tilt towards large companies and dividend yield, away from highly valued growth stocks and medium-sized and small companies. The biggest stock contributor was BAE Systems, the defence equipment manufacturer, followed by Imperial Brands, the tobacco company, Bruin Dolphin, the private client wealth management group, which received a takeover bid from the Royal Bank of Canada, was the sixth biggest stock contributor. The underweight position in Shell was the biggest stock detractor, somewhat offset by the holding in Total Energies, the French international oil group, which was the eighth biggest stock contributor. The second biggest stock detractor was being underweight AstraZeneca, although partly balanced by the holding uh, in the US pharmaceutical company Merck, which was the ninth biggest contributor. The group also highlighted strong performance with bumper dividends from the miners, including Rio Tinto, Anglo-American and BHP, increasing income from £3.9 million to £6.3 million. The City of London's net asset value total return was ahead of the FTSE All Share Index over 1, 3, 5 and 10 years. 
commenting on the portfolio outlook, Mr. Curtis and Mr. Smith, the chief fund managers, commented, consumer staple companies which make and sell everyday products constitute 20.5% of the portfolio. They tend to have a degree of pricing power to cope with inflationary cost pressures. Three of the 10 largest stocks in the portfolio are consumer staple companies, British American Tobacco, the largest holding, and Imperial Brands, the ninth largest holding, have strong cash flow to support their dividends. British American Tobacco has also made significant progress in the transition towards less harmful products and is the leader in vaping, with views in the United States. Diageo, the third largest holding, is the world's largest spirits company outside China, as well as owning Guinness. Leading spirits brands its own include Johnny Walker, which is Scotch whiskey, Tanqueray Gin, Smirnoff Vodka. It has also grown to become the market leader by value of total sales in tequila, which is the fastest growing spirits category in the US, with brands such as Don Julio and Casamigos. Tesco's, the 11th largest holding, and Unilever, the 12th largest holding, are consumer, consumer staples companies. Tesco's has market leadership and competitive pricing in the UK food retailing. Unilever has sales from its beauty and personal care, food and home care divisions in both developed and emerging markets. The oil sector is represented in the top 10 by Shell, their second largest holding, and BP, the 10th largest holding. Both companies benefit from the elevated price of oil, which is likely to persist given the imbalance between demand and supply in the global market. Long term, a key determinant of their performance will be how well they execute on ambitious plans to achieve net zero, which means completely negating the amount of greenhouse gases they produce. They aim to achieve this by reducing fossil fuel exposure, investing in renewable energy, in brackets wind and solar, and developing carbon capture technology. National Grid, the 13th largest holding, and SSE, the 17th largest, are both well-placed to benefit from electrification of the company and growth in the renewable energy sector. It is likely that governments will increase defence spending given the rising threat from hostile countries. The products made by BAE Systems, fourth largest holding, are of crucial importance in this context. Relex, fifth largest holding, which provides essential information and analytics for businesses, professionals and scientists, is expected to continue in its outstanding record of steady growth. The pharmaceutical sector constitutes 8.9% of the portfolio. The two largest holdings are UK listed, AstraZeneca, the sixth largest holding, and GlaxoSmithKline, the eighth largest holding. In addition to four overseas pharmaceutical companies are held Merck, Novartis, Johnson & Johnson, and Sanofi. These companies have a strong record of bringing to market medicines and vaccines that improve health, prolong and save lives. Given its importance in this large scale of funding from governments, healthcare spending is fairly resilient in a period of slowing economic growth. And finally, HSBC is the seventh largest holding and there are also a smaller number of positions in Lloyds Banking and Barclays within the portfolio. Banks should benefit from the rise in interest rates as they are able to improve rates for deposit accounts and margin between deposits and loans. Banks are vulnerable to loan losses and impairments if the rise in interest rates leads to a recession. Life Assurers Phoenix, 16th largest holding, and Legal in General, 19th largest holding, offer high dividend yields, as does M&G, the 15th largest holding, which is a mixture of fund manager and life assurer. In terms of the percentage derived from different geographical regions, 33% comes from the UK, 24% from North America, 15% from Europe excluding UK, 12% from emerging markets other, 10% from emerging markets Asia, 3% from developed markets in Asia Pacific, and 3% from Japan. Valuation we commented on earlier, it trades at 2.5% premium to its net asset value. Reading more in about the, <laughs> the City of London Investment Trust, the more I liked it. It is very defensive, and I certainly think where we are in the cycle at the moment, holding those sorts of defensive companies would give you 
it would help you sleep at night for sure. And I think you'd probably see a much smaller fluctuation with much more resilient earnings from, from this investment trust. I guess the big question is what you're investing for, what your time horizons are. Because if I were being critical, while there are a lot of very high quality defensive companies in there, is where does the the long-term growth come from? And is it just from sort of, I suppose, small, small amounts of sort of revenue growth and reinvesting those dividends? Or are the sort of companies of the future in there? I suppose they they are trying to point towards some, whether it's British American Tobacco and the electronic cigarettes, or whether it's the oil and gas producers and going into sort of renewable energies. But there's not a huge amount in there. And I think as a younger investor myself, that would probably concern me, whilst I think they do have a lot of, you know, high quality and in particular, the consumer staples companies in there. So it probably wouldn't be one for me, but I can see why in the current market with what's going on, it trades at a slight premium and they do have an excellent track record. So not one for me, but I I, I quite like the strategy. Sam, what are your thoughts? It's interesting. I like the makeup of the portfolio probably not quite as much as you did but it, it is it is an interesting portfolio it's not it's not um, a fund i mean we hardly ever look at funds anyway on the show mm. but it's not it's not a listed fund i've ever looked at in any detail mm. there's quite a few favorites of the show in the top 10 so i can't really knock it too much i just think <laughs> it, for, for me personally although there's a lot of companies in the portfolio i like i i just I don't see what I'd need them for. I, I feel like I could do a pretty good job recreating uh, recreating a similar portfolio myself. Do you, do you think um, buying the FTSE 100 would be a similar portfolio? I don't think it'd be too dissimilar, to be honest. I, suppose I mean, it, I, guess, it, yeah. I guess the thing with the FTSE 100 is, although there's, there are a lot of good businesses in there, there's also a lot of businesses you wouldn't want. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think it would be that. Person, I don't think it would be that difficult to go down like the FTSE 100 and pick out 20 that I like that I think might outperform and I'd, I'd probably get similar results without mm. having to pay their fees. That's not to criticise them. It's just I, I feel like what they're providing just isn't really something that I need. But I, I do like yeah. the portfolio and it is interesting to hear their thoughts on a lot of the stocks that we have covered multiple you, times on the show. Yeah, well, <laughs> I quite agree with you on that. Do you think if you were an older investor and you were using this more as, you know, income, this would appeal to you a bit more? If I didn't enjoy doing it myself, I think so. I think there would also be maybe a role to play in that. I think this probably does outperform the FTSE 100. Mm. What's in it? I'd like, or I, I would I would back it to outperform the FTSE 100 because a lot of the stocks in the top 10, they're certainly what I would consider to be some of the higher quality stocks in the index. Sure. So I, I think, you know, if you were just looking to build a portfolio that you could just leave and not worry about and just take your dividends from, yeah, I think it's worth considering instead of maybe a FTSE 100 index. It's not that expensive either. No, and it's outperformed it by quite a fair bit, it sounds like yeah. as well. So what, yeah. what, you, what you're paying fees, you are making up for in outperformance. Because the only yeah. fair, I, I think it's fair to measure it against, you'd measure it against the FTSE 100 or the all share like they measure. Yeah. And I think if you measure it against that, it's, it's, it's doing better. So yeah, I think it's definitely interesting, but not for me. Yeah, no, I would I would tend to agree. Although what I what I I think I enjoyed most was the analysis of the different sectors. And would it, would you say it was similar to our take from the previous shows? I think so. Yeah, I think a lot yeah. of like a lot of the top ten. I think we've. I mean, we we've covered a, a lot of those. Well, we've we've probably covered all of them on the show. But yeah, you know, I, th- I think we've spoken positively about most of them. I think one one thing I picked up on was one reason for slight underperform or you know an area of underperformance was selling or having a smaller Astra position, which made me think of the fantasy portfolio where we sold out of Astra. 
Yeah, I wasn't going to mention that. <laughs> Which, it can be part of our analysis when we come to the new year. Yeah, we'll see. Oh, we don't know whether we're on the We don't know what will happen, but... Um, We've not looked at it for nine months. <laughs> Astra, oh, I've taken a peek at it. Have you? Yeah, it's, it's for, sadly for us, it's done quite well. I don't want to know. <laughs> okay. Uh, right, right, okay, should we move on to JD Sports fashion? Yeah. yeah. I think it's a... F- well, a brand that most people in the UK will be aware of. They sell trainers and the shops are quite cool. So they have come out with their half year results to 30 July 2022. And revenue is up 13.7% to 4.418 billion. And the gross profit percentage is flat at 48.5%. And the operating profit is down 16.1% to 332.9 million. Earnings per share are down from 4.44p to 3.58p, and they've reinstated the dividend at 13p a share. So they've said in the highlights that results for the first half were at the top end of the board's expectations. They've highlighted continued robust performance in the sports fashion retail in the UK and Republic of Ireland, which delivered a profit before tax and exceptional items for the first half of 153 million, down from 174 million last year highlighted a return to profit in the sports fashion retail in Europe, which contributed to a profit before tax and exceptional items for the first half of 57.1 million, up from a loss of 7.2 million last year. And they've also highlighted a profit for the sports fashion retail in North America of 130.4 million, down from 245.5 million a year ago with the performance in the period reflecting, as expected, the non-comparability of trading conditions in the US as a result of the federal fiscal stimulus in the prior year and the supply chain challenges of certain international brands, which has led to reduced availability of key footwear styles, particularly in the first quarter. Total revenue growth in organic retail businesses was 5%, with this level of growth continuing into the second half to date, including a return to growth in the United States. The international development continues to progress positively with 51 net new JD stores opened across Europe, including a first store in Hungary and a first store in Greece due to open shortly. There are 101 stores now trading as JD in the United States with the flagship in Chicago due to open in the second half. They've got four JD stores in Indonesia and two in Israel open under joint venture arrangements. So they now have a retail presence in 27 countries. And there's been further progress in Australia with three new stores open in the period and a first store in Adelaide open subsequently. There are a few interesting points in the slides. Yeah, so the five-year history of revenue by sector. UK and Republic of Ireland in the past five years, revenue is up from 1.038 billion to 1.81 billion. Europe's up from 536 million to 1.16 billion. Asia Pacific's up from 91.2 million to 192.197.9 million. And North America's up from 180 million to 1.292 billion. Although that is mainly, well, that's mainly for acquisitions instead of organic. For each division, the profit and loss to July 2022 was 154.8 million for UK and Republic of Ireland, 34.8 million for Europe, 29.2 million for Asia Pacific and 111.1 million for North America. And the number of stores at the end of the period was 440 in the UK and Republic of Ireland, 428 in Europe, 82 in Asia Pacific, and 937 in North America. And I've pulled out the Shoe Palace results just because that's a recent acquisition. So that's only from the last couple of years. That's one of the American acquisitions they've made. But revenue was down 10.9% to 253.8 million. And the gross profit percentage was up from 49.4% to 51.9%. Business trades at a PE ratio of 16. And that's after a 53.29% drop in the share price for the past year. I think this is a it's a good brand. I'm not a huge fan of retail, just instinctively. But in the UK, I think JD is an extremely strong brand. And I think for now, at least, the bigger companies like Nike and Adidas, they they do need JD in the UK just because they are that big. Um, So you get a lot of it. Look, you get quite a few like exclusive releases and stuff with JD. 
What I don't like is the acquisition strategy. I think JD is a very, very good brand, and it would be interesting to see how it does internationally. I know there's a lot of international already in the business, but the interest it'll be interesting to watch international. But just because it's a really solid brand here, it doesn't necessarily translate to a really good brand in, say, like Malaysia or Australia. I think that that brand has taken a long, long time to cultivate. I mean, like when I, I, I imagine it was the same for you, John. When we were at school, like if someone came in with like a yellow JD bag, that was quite cool. Um, it, it takes a long time to build that. You can't just go and like launch. It, it is really difficult. So I don't know if the brand will necessarily translate as well internationally because there's not really anything special about it. But I don't like the US strategy. So I'll just read from an article about the Shoe Palace acquisition. So it's, this is a couple of years old, this article. But JD Sports bought California-based Shoe Palace for $681 million. This is the second US acquisition. The company entered the market in 2018 with its $560 million purchase of apparel company, The Finish Line. Other recent acquisitions include Livestock, a Canadian company bought in July, and UK menswear company, Pretty Green. Also looking to buy UK rival Foot Asylum. I don't think that ever went through, did it? Also, they also tried to buy Debenhams, but for Shoe Palace, they paid $325 million in cash and issued a 20% stake in the new US subsidiary, which was worth a further $356 million. I just think, I don't know these brands, and it might be that Shoe Palace and the finish line are really, really good brands, but my instinct is they're not fantastic brands. And I think they're, they're possibly buying stores and in doing so with some of these brands, I feel like they might be diluting the, the average quality of the store. I don't, I'd be surprised if the shoe palace is as cool in the US as JD is here. And and that would be my concern is that although they are growing profits and they're growing them very well, you just, at some point you end up with some just very average brands in there. And when you've got Nike and Adidas all going for more direct to consumer retail is quite tough anyway, I, I think it, the situation very quickly reverses. So for me, it's it's interesting to watch, but I I don't I wouldn't really be comfortable holding this in the long term. Partly because it's retail, and partly just that acquisition strategy as as strong as I think the brand is in the UK. John, what are your thoughts on the results and the valuation? I mean, I think. The valuation is certainly it's not not expensive, and by historical standards, I think it's about the cheapest it's been in nearly ten years. And if you look at the forward earnings, it's under ten times the forward earnings. One thing, aside from the acquisition strategy, that worries me is the direct consumer, and you're seeing the big brands like Nike and Adidas going down that road, and I don't see why it would stop. I recently bought some trainers and I went and I a few t-shirts and things straight straight onto the Adidas website. They offer you discounts. It's straight to you. You don't need to go to JD. I know that they've cultivated that brand in the UK, but I would wonder whether that is, you've seen the peak growth there. And yeah, how translatable is that overseas? I'm not, not completely convinced by it. It is cheap. It's retail, which I've recently been burnt by and... <laughs> well that, that that those results are out tomorrow um but i don't i yeah i don't think it's one for me i think it's in it'll be interesting to see where it goes and it's certainly not expensive but for those reasons i wouldn't invest right well i don't think there's much more to say about it yeah but yeah they are good results that's the fun, that's the funny thing about it it's just yeah. the overall strategy i don't like right should we move on to another debut Another debut, yes. Um, so we've talked about it a few times before. First of all, when Unilever made a bid for Halion, which is the consumer health company that was spun out from Glaxo, they've had their half-year results out for 2022. The portfolio includes brands like Sensodyne Toothpaste, Panadol, Volterol, Centrum and Advil. In terms of revenue for the half, it came in at £5.2 billion, which represented organic revenue growth of 11.6%, with volume mix up 7.9%, and price contributing 3.7%. Power brands grew revenue by 13.4%, and two-thirds of the business gained or held market share. In oral health, revenue came in at £1.4 billion, up 5%, with three-quarters of the business gaining or maintaining market share 
including key markets such as the US and China, with strong performances from Sensodyne, Paradon Tax, Polydent, and new formulations in all of those were released. In the vitamins, minerals, and supplements division, there was double-digit revenue growth of 12% to £816 million, with market share gains in the US and China. In over-the-counter pain relief and digestive health, Panadol was the standout performer, helping revenue grow 12% to £1.2 billion. In respiratory health, demand was strong with the return of the cold and flu season after the lockdowns and COVID, with Theraflu helping revenue grow 47% to £683 million. In digestive health and other, revenue grew a more modest 3% to just over a billion pounds. In terms of geographies, revenue from North America totaled £1.8 billion, which represented a 10.4% organic sales growth. Europe, the Middle East, Africa and Latin America generated just over £2 billion in revenue, representing organic sales growth of 12.1%. And Asia-Pacific saw organic sales growth of 12.3%, with revenue coming in at £1.2 billion. Adjusted operating margins were 24.2% in North America, 22.6% in Europe, the Middle East, Africa and Latin America, and 24.1% in Asia Pacific. This resulted in adjusted operating profit of £1.19 billion, up 15%, and an adjusted operating margin of 23%. R&D spend was 23% higher at £137 million, and sales, general and admin, 9.3% higher at £1.9 billion. In terms of the costs of goods sold, commodity and commodity-related costs were less than 10% of sales, and full-year inflation is in the mid-teens for commodities and materials, and slightly higher for freight. Energy costs account for only around 1% of cost of goods sold. They have 90% fixed contracts or hedged for the second half. The group planned to continue to offset rising costs with price rises and efficiencies. Net capital expenditure came in at £88 million and is expected to be around 3% of sales for the full year 2022. Free cash flow came in at £553 million, compared with £189 million in the first half of 2021. Debt, as of the demerger, stood at £10.7 billion, with a weighted average cost of 2.8% over 8.4 years. In terms of outlook, Halion are expecting annual revenue growth of between 6 and 8%, and adjusted operating margins to fall slightly at constant currency. Net debt to EBITDA is expected to fall below three times by the end of 2024, and an initial dividend is expected to be at the lower end of the 30 to 50% uh, range of profits. The group stated that they are not party to any Zantac claims, and they have notified GSK and Pfizer that they reject their requests for uh, indemnification. A joint venture agreement was signed, and in their view, the indemnity set out in the joint venture agreement only cover GSK and Pfizer consumer health businesses, as conducted then, and at the time, neither GSK nor Pfizer marketed over-the-counter Zantac in the US and Canada. And that's one of the sort of grey clouds over the, the company at the moment. It's It was a, a drug for, I suppose, uh, reflux and sort of excess acid in the stomach, and there have been links to cancer. It's a big issue in the States, and it's not clear well as clear as Haley was saying it to be over whether there's going to be further litigation over it so that's the comment that they made on the issue in the slides in terms of valuation Halion trades at around 17 times earnings and has a market cap of around 25 billion pounds I was actually pleasantly surprised by these results I thought that they might be a very low single digits and actually they they were pretty good in comparison with what certainly what I was expecting. And I think with what the market was expecting, the shares were up on the results. And it looks like an interesting company to me with a portfolio of very strong brands. People are always health aware. These are products that I suppose it's more the branding than lots and lots of 
intensive R&D spend like the true pharmaceutical companies. I suppose you'd argue that they don't hold the patents and they don't have the ginormous margins that the pharmaceutical companies would have in the long term. But the consistency of earnings is attractive. And certainly if they can grow them in the sort of higher single digits, it doesn't... 17 times earnings, I suppose it's probably a fair valuation. I guess what might one of the things that might be holding it back further is that debt and also this issue over Zantac. I wouldn't like to comment too much on Zantac. I think that would be something that would require, if I were thinking about shares, definitely warrant further investigation. And yeah, the debt at the moment is, you know, is on is on the higher side. But I think overall looking at the company i did quite like it would i add it to the portfolio probably not at this stage with those uncertainties but in the longer term i definitely keep it on my watch list and potentially add to it or start a position in it at some point but too early at the moment sam your thoughts on halion like you i was pleasantly surprised by the growth rates i think they are impressive However, I don't <laughs> like the brands particularly. There's some decent brands in there, but it's not as good as Unilever's, for example. Uh, not as good as Reckitt's. Not as good as Crafts either, which is one we've covered a couple of times. So yeah, I'm not too keen on the brands. And I'm not too keen on the debt either. It's got mm. quite a lot of debt. And I know they said they want to... What did they say? They said they want to bring it down to three times underlying cash profits by the end of 2024. That wouldn't be such a terrible level, but that firstly assumes they don't have any extra debt from like the litigation or anything like that. Yeah. But also, I, I just think it's not the kind of company I'd really consider anyway. But if if I were, I'd probably just say to you, well, you know, I'll I'll come back and have a look at it at the yeah. end of twenty twenty four. Yeah. And if it's in a bit healthier shape, like I don't yeah. think you're going to pay that much different in earnings, really. No. And um, I think. I think one thing that we'd mentioned before, obviously before we had these results, was how much Unilever were going to pay for it. And that was that was about double what it yeah, is. Yeah, they, they should have sold it. Yeah, they should have, they should have is sold it. Is that the same again. Unilever CEO that's just announced these leaders? Yeah, it is very much the same. Well, yeah. that's good news because that's just shocking. Yeah. Because so that he was willing to, so these are currently trading at forward PE of 13.7. So he was basically willing to pay a forward PE of like 27. Yeah, for this for this company. For consumer goods, which is yeah. just crazy. Yeah. It just well, sort of yeah. just screams of desperation, really. Just yeah. panic. And he's it's like deadline he's... day when you just sign anyone. <laughs> yeah. Well, he he's he, you know, he's he's going now, and he's I don't think will be well remembered by uh long-standing Unilever shareholders. No. But yeah, these decent results, and you know, even with the debt and stuff, that's not mm. really the company's fault. They've inherited it. Yeah. All you can really judge, like for example, the management on is the results themselves, and they are good. Yeah. So um, it's the debt and the litigation and the brands. <laughs> oh, well, okay, I, I I quite like the brands. I mean, it would yeah. At a good price, it would make a lot of sense for Reckitt, but um, they've done some big acquisitions that haven't gone well in their time. So I think they'll be stay, staying well clear. But I don't think they'd want that litigation either. They need a way well, of getting it where that didn't touch them. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it'll be a, it's an interesting one to watch. And yeah. I, I would come back to it again in the future um, more seriously. Right. Okay. Shall we move on to Keyword Studios then? Yes. So we first have... time on the show, or no? No, we've covered oh. it. I think we've we've covered it at least once before. Possibly, oh, no. I think as soon as us. So I, I think once I start talking about it, you will remember which company it is. Because um, oh, it's got the names. The memories really. are coming back. Actually, yeah, here we go. So I'll just for anyone else who's forgotten, <laughs> Keyword Studios. So the I'll just read from their website. So in their services, Keyword Studios continues to build world-leading world leading capabilities in services that video game and similar interactive content creators need. Today, we have breadth and depth in eight service lines, art services, game development, audio services, functionality QA, localization, localization QA, marketing services, and player support. So basically anything you can really think of to do with video games, you can outsource it to these guys. They have come out 
with their first half results and they saw double digit growth across all service lines to its customer base of video game developers in the six months of June 2022. This drove a 34.5% increase in revenues to 321.1 million euros and all the figures are in euros of which organic growth contributed 21.7%. Underlying profit before tax was up 38% to 54.8 million, reflecting a margin improvement from 16.6% to 17.1%, but they have said that should move back down to historical levels of about 15%, which reflects increased investment in the business. We break the results down a bit more. Globalize, the largest division, which includes the audio testing and localization, for that division, revenue grew 31.8% to 141.5 million, with organic growth, excluding acquisitions, growing 25.7%. The division benefited from an upswing in the game's development cycle, and underlying cash profit was up 47.4% to 31.1 million. The Create division, which combines art services and game development, saw sales growth of 44.5% to 124.3 million reflecting a material contribution from acquisitions, but also organic growth of 23.3%, a strong client demand continued. A further addition to this division was, was the announcement of the proposed acquisition of Canadian development studio Smoking Gun for up to 40 million Canadian dollars, funded through cash and shares. Smoking Gun is expected to grow strongly over the next 12 months and is expected to deliver cash profit of around $6 million against an underlying cash profit of $30.9 million for Create as a whole in the first half which was up 34.3%. Engage covers marketing and player experience services, and that saw revenue growth of 22.1%, 55.3 million, with more modest organic growth of 9.8%. This was against an exceptional period of growth for marketing services in the comparative period in 2021. Underlying cash profit margins in this division were unchanged at 14.6%. Cash conversion did not quite keep pace with profits with free cash flow broadly flat at 24.3 million including a negative working capital movement of 12.7 million net cash was up to 121.3 million versus 84.1 million at the end of june 21 in terms of valuation the business trades at a forward pe of 25.5 and that compares to a 10-year average of 28.9 and the prospective yield for the next 12 months is 0.1 so these results are obviously fantastic if we go and look at the five-year results they're also fantastic. So between 2017 and 2021, full years inclusive, revenue increased from 151 million to 512 million. Operating profit was up from 16 million to 50 million. Diluted earnings per share was up from 11.87 cents to 42.98 cents. So th this is just fantastic set of results. Clearly a fantastic business. I think these are really, really impressive considering how well the industry it's in did in the previous, in a comparative period. It is up very up against very tough comparatives and it's absolutely smashed them. However, I, I do like this business a lot. I think it looks very well run. I think someone who feels like they understand the gaming market quite well and is knows probably more about the industry than I do, maybe wants to take, would might want to take a serious look at it. But my concern is, I know the gaming market's huge and probably going to get a lot bigger. I don't know how big the gaming outsource, the outsourcing market is. And that's not a criticism of keywords. I just don't know. It's not really my, it's not really my area. So it's, you are buying it for growth. It's not, I think given how good the results are and the historical results i don't think it's outrageous at 25 times earnings i think that's fairly reasonable if you think it can carry on doing what it's doing my concern is i just don't know how big it can get and i, I just, because i don't really know the market very well i can't really picture it and say well you know it's you know it's currently making 50 million operating profit per year i think it could be doing 500 you know in like 10 years time i, I just can't i can't visualize that and that's my issue with it so for me i think it's a fantastic business there's nothing about the business that wouldn't make it good enough for the watch list. It's just, it's more for me, it just goes in the too hard pile. So I, I would regrettably just say, say no to it, but it does look like a fantastic business. John, what are your thoughts on the results and the business? I mean, I thought the results were oh, clearly, they were really impressive results. The business, again, lack of knowledge about the industry and it's expensive. Although I appreciate the growth that it's delivering 
would more well partly justify that high price but i think not having any knowledge and it being quite a technical area i'd probably be staying away but mm. it's not yeah like you like you say it's um if you dug into it a lot more and you understood the industry it could well be a fantastic business that actually even at that price is um, a good buy yeah it's not a criticism of the valuation it could be a bargain yeah we just don't know yeah but yeah it's aim listed as well i should have mentioned that yeah right then shall we move on to pz cousins a business that's a bit easier to understand yeah it, it is much much easier it makes well we've covered it on the show before but it's consumer good company makes imperial leather original source and carex the hand gels amongst others they had their full year results out for 2022 with revenue declining 1.7 percent to 592.8 million pounds with like-for-like growth of 2.9%, more than offset by disposal and FX. Operating profit was also down from £71 million to £67.9 million. The group cited normalisation of Carex volumes as the main drag and declines in Europe and America. Despite this, market share was higher than pre-pandemic. Volumes overall were down 3%, but there was a price mix growth of 5.9% and growth of seven out of eight must-win brands, including Saint-Tropez and Original Source. In geographies, Europe and the Americas generated revenue of £193 million, down 12.3%, and Asia-Pacific saw growth of 3%, whilst Africa grew revenue an impressive 22.3% to £222 million. Operating profit margin was 18.1%, 12% and 10% respectively. Operating profit margin was squeezed to 11.5% from 11.8%, with 11% or £40 million worth of cost inflation being limited by cost mitigation and management initiatives. Profit before tax was £66.6 million, falling from £68.6 million in 2021. Free cash flow came in at £58 million, down from £64.4 million. Net debt to EBITDA had a ratio of 0.1, and net debt totaled £9.8 million. The group disposed of 5AM for £6.4 million in June 21, and Nigerian property for £18.4 million, and acquired Child's Farm in March 2022 for £37 million. Going forward, the group reports a strong start to full year 23, with group like-for-like revenue up 6.7% overall and expected to deliver full year 23 in line with expectations. In terms of valuation, PZ Cousins has a market cap of £829 million and trades at 16 times earnings, yields just over 3%. I thought these results were disappointing with pre-tax profit falling 2.9% with cost of inflation beginning to bite. But it is, and it has been for a long time, a turnaround project. And that was before the pandemic and the boost that that gave, particularly to Carex, which is the hand gels. But the brands are still strong. Carex is the UK's number one hand wash with 37% of the market share. Saint-Tropez is the US's number one fake tan brand with 20% market share. And Morning Fresh Washing Up Liquid has a 47% market share in of detergents in Australia. So there, there is hope there. And that turnaround is still ongoing. But I think, as you alluded to, Sam, when we covered Halion earlier, there are better consumer goods companies out there than PZ Cousins. So it's a bit cheaper but I think it's not that much cheaper. And I would certainly be choosing other consumer goods companies before PZ Cousins. What are your thoughts on these results and PZ Cousins as a company? I thought they were very disappointing. I thought a revenue drop is just, I mean, unacceptable probably is the word I would use. Like even Unilever grew revenue. It's just, Unilever's revenue growth was what, like, 7% or something like that, maybe even a bit higher. I can't remember because we covered it 
a couple of months ago, but every other consumer goods company we have looked at in the last couple of months has grown revenue and they haven't. I, I think there are some good brands. There are some brands in there that I like. I think some of the stronger, some of the bigger brands they've got, I, I appreciate they will be up against tough comparatives. Um, I think they will have had more lockdown winners because some of the stronger brands, it's like the Imperial mm. Leather Soap and the, um, what's it called? You know, the ting- no, oh, the, ting- uh, the Tingly Shower Gel. Yeah, that's Original Source. Original Source, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I think that will have had tough comparatives as well. But even still, I, even if it was low single digits, I, I just think they should be, they should have grown really. It's 16 I, times earnings. Yeah, that's, that was my next point. I, I just think it's, you know, this is a turnaround. And it's not really trading at much of a discount to something like a union. I mean, Unilever's a turnaround as well, actually. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not that far off wreck it, which yeah. is in pretty healthy shape. So I don't I don't know why you'd take the chance on it when it, it doesn't, there's not really that much of a difference in price. For reference, Unilever's currently trading at about 20 times earnings. Is and, it? Yeah. But wreck it is cheaper at 14 times earnings. What? Why is Unilever? What's happened to the Unilever share price? Um, the chief executive's left. What's it at now? It's about forty pounds. Oh, is it? Wreck it seven. Wreck it forty. Well, that's like so. Like, why would you I've get got the wrong numbers, Sam? It, yeah, it. I mean, it could just be that we're looking at comparatives, and they've, they've I don't know. It's, I don't know, but but anyway, like the point is, like, it's not going to change. <laughs> These companies don't change that much year to year. So, like, even if the record's different, it's not going to be that different. So, why, if you can get a record for a similar price, I don't know why you'd get PZ Cous- cousins, which is a turnaround. It just doesn't. I guess it's a lot smaller, so maybe you think it. You know, there's a lot more growth potential, but I, I don't know. If I was interested in buying a stock in the consumer goods industry, I, I wouldn't be picking PZ Cousins at the minute. I, I just don't think you need to take the chance on it when there's so many other quality options available. Okay, final company of the week and the US listed one, Costco. Yes, Costco. Uh, so I'm sure it's a business that needs no introduction. So they have come out with their Q4 and 52-week results for the 16-week Q4 and the 52-week fiscal year, which ended on 28 August 2022. So net sales for the quarter increased 15.2% to 70.76 billion, and all these figures are in dollars, up from 61.44 billion last year. And net sales for the fiscal year increased 16% to 222.73 billion, up from 192 billion last year. Comparable sales per geography were as follows. US was up 16.8% for the quarter and 10.4% for the year. Canada was up 13.4% for the quarter and 12.1% for the year. And other international was up 2.9% for the quarter and 10.2% for the year. And e-commerce was up 7.1% for the quarter and 10.4% for the year. Net income for Q4 was $1.868 billion, which was $4.20 per diluted share compared with $1.67 billion or $3.76 last year. Last year's fourth quarter was negatively impacted by a write-off of information technology assets of $14 per diluted share. Net income for the fiscal year was $5.84 billion or $13.14 per diluted share, compared to $5.01 billion or $11.27 per diluted share in the prior year. Costco currently operates 838 warehouses, including 578 in the US and Puerto Rico, 107 in Canada, 40 in Mexico, 31 in Japan, 29 in the UK, 17 in Korea, 14 in Taiwan, 13 in Australia, 4 in Spain, 2 in France, 2 in China, and 1 in Iceland. Costco also operates e-commerce sites in the US, Canada, UK, Mexico, Korea, Taiwan, Japan, and Australia. These are pretty solid results, as you would expect from a business with Costco's reputation. So you might be thinking, well, this sounds like a business that you might be interested in taking a look at. And then you get to the price. It trades at a P ratio of 37.7. Oh, yeah. And a market cap of 212 billion. I mean, this it's a fantastic company. Absolutely. Really impressive company. I mean, some of the top investors in the world will bang on about Costco. Charlie Munger's a prime example. There's a lot to like about the business, but... 37 times earnings for a business with a 200 billion market cap that's growing at 10% a year. That's that's the end of the analysis for me. I didn't go any further. I just don't. It also has a, a dividend yield of 0.77 of a percent, but 
Really good business, good results. I just don't know who's paying 37 times earnings for this business. John, what are your thoughts on the results and the valuation? Yeah, I mean, great business, great results, but goodness, you, you struggle to get past that valuation. I was going to ask Sam, do you have the data in terms of its historical valuation? Has it always been this expensive or is is it trading at a particular premium at the moment? I know it's been expensive for a while. I've only got the share price. It's actually... It's down. This is after it's come down, like oh goodness, probably like getting on for twenty percent. This is after about a twenty percent drop. I I don't know. I I suspect it's always been expensive, but thirty seven times earnings just it just seems crazy. It's possibly awful, one of. I'd say this is before I buy. Yeah, I buy before. I actually would say this is possibly one of the most expensive stocks we've ever looked at, just because. You know, a lot of the businesses we look we've looked at before, where they train at multiples of sales or whatever, they've still got a lot of growth ahead of them. Whereas with, with Costco, it's it's a really well run business, but I, th- I think it's fairly saturated. I mean, it's already at a two hundred billion dollar market cap. It's just mm. I don't know who's who's buying it at thirty seven times earnings and expecting to make a market beating return from it. It just baffles me. But anyway, I, I tend, um, tend, tend to agree or agree with yeah. you on that. So, so of the companies, yeah, wh- what would you be going for uh, with your own money? I'd go with City of London Investment Trust. I think- Quite boring as well, but I think I would also go with City of Le- London Investment Trust. And I do ho- hold a few of the companies that they they also hold. Yeah, so, <laughs> so it's just, for, for me, yes. it's lack of other options. I think in this week's like in this week's lineup, in all in all the other five. There is a reason why I wouldn't invest and like fairly strongly. The only one I would consider is Keywords Studios, but I just don't understand the market. So by default, I end up in City of London Investment Trust just because I know what's in it. I understand what's in it and I, I do like what's in it. But yeah. Yeah. I think I'd sleep well with City of London too in terms of the volatility. I wouldn't sleep well with Costco. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. But no, I think that probably probably sums it up this week. Yeah. And next week, one of our favorite companies, Boohoo, is has got a trading statement out. So we'll be sure to cover that. So join us then. <laughs> See you next week. See you next week. Thank you for listening to The Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.